0: Amen. Well, hopefully you did receive the the outline uh, when you came in. They're always available on the table, and you'll always want to make sure you pick one up, and we make sure there are holes in it. That's not because we couldn't afford afford a full piece of paper, Uh, in case you were wondering. It's for a notebook. You know, there's an idea. I hadn't thought of that. There's an idea, Uh, Take some notes. Some of you look for quarters while I'm preaching on the ground. There aren't any. The Allens do such a nice job cleaning up, straightening up, getting ready. And any coins, well, they're not here by the time you get here. So don't be looking at the floor or the ceiling or out the window. Look at the Word. Look at the sheet. Write your notes. And then perhaps here's an idea. Study it this coming week. Add it to your quiet time. Let the Lord cement these things into your heart. I'm here, God had, has faith in I here to minister the Word as an elder, pastor, teacher, and what joy we do that. And guess what? God has you here. Hmm, hadn't thought about it like that. And there may be more than just to warm a seat and to occupy space and breathe air, there's a whole lot more. So I encourage you, grow in grace and give yourself, apply yourself. Remember that in school? apply yourself. Did your father ever say that at grade time? How come you're not applying yourself? Get over here, son. That usually was not a good sign for me at the that moment in that. And he didn't care at that moment what all the rest of the kids in the class got. He didn't. And that didn't mean anything to him. And if they jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? And that ended that whole direction. A blame-shifting and all the rest that we're so good at, aren't we? Oh, we're good at that. Oh, man, Lord help us. Anyway, <clears throat> today we're going to deal with the clothing approved by God. Did you, did you know that there is a style of clothing that God approves? Now, we live near Lancaster County, and it's not the old uh, continental cloaking of the 1800s, whatever it is, that the Amish wear though much of it's a lot more modest than what we see walking down Main Street usually. That's not it, nor is it found in monasteries or monks or any of those type of medieval garb or, or, or clothing, any of that kind of a thing. You'll be certain to know, I know that you do, that Madison Avenue and all the advertising and the fashion industry there in New York City, they're clueless as to probably what we're going to present today but there is a clothing that is approved by God. Now, let's look at it. By, look at uh, Ephesians. We read the text, chapter 4, and we're going to unfold verses 25 to 32 this morning. <clears throat> uh, the clothing industry uh, does seem to change the styles every year. Have you noticed that? They do. I don't know who does it. Somebody does it. They weld a lot of power. I mean, they do something and it's very expensive, and we wear eventually, if it's modest, knock down versions of it, knock off versions of it, knock, what do they call it there? Yeah, whatever. You, you know what I mean. <laughs> What's in vogue today, uh, you know, is out tomorrow. I remember that being uh, uh, a student in school. Those things are very important to me. I went to, uh, to seventh grade from a little cloistered elementary school. Yes, we did have neighborhood schools in that day. And I spent seven years at Colonel Payne Elementary School around the corner. I used to go home for lunch. When I see the kids in Camp Hill walking home uh, or over to the coffee shop for lunch, it always takes me back. I'd go home. My mother would have peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they used to do that. And they weren't afraid someone was going to nab the kids uh, or the, the perverts put them in the car on the way home, that kind of stuff, and we would do that. And I remember going to seventh grade, and that was like shock to me. They had all these elementary schools that fed into two junior highs in our city, and we went there, and I think my eyes were as big as as silver dollars, like horrified, uh, you know, uh, with all of that. I mean, that I could go on and on and talk about junior high. I saw the title of a book once. It was, I grew up and I discovered life was nothing more than junior high. Think about that, the way people act at the office and in the neighborhood and in the sports field. It's junior high all over again. And it's like, it's not Groundhog Day over, but it's, just, I mean, they go like, oh, my word. I, and I went there, and I remember wearing white socks, and I, was all, and, and I came home, and I was all upset about it because they were making fun of white socks. Isn't that silly? Seventh grader, white socks, what's the deal? My mother thought they looked great, you know? And, and, and I said, I can't go to school if I have white socks. And she said, why not? Because they make fun of me, and all this kind of stuff, you know? And I, did, I didn't want, want that. So once she realized the import of it, she, you know, got me whatever it was. I don't remember. And, and I didn't have at least that problem. I had a whole other problems. <laughs> <during junior laughs> and I. Well, not that one. One that, since we're talking about that, stands out to me is that I was in a social studies class, and I always sat in the back of the room that, you know, they do it alphabetically. I had one teacher that reversed it, and I sat in the front. I rather liked that. Well, I sat in the back, and John Zellner sat next to me. Here I am. I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's, you're changing classes, you've got a locker, you've got four minutes to be. You know, the boys' bathroom have no doors on this. I mean, it's just like a you know, door open. smoke fills the hole. It's just like, what is this? I was in such a nice little haven in my elementary school, and John Zellner's in the back of social studies class, first week. And he's making noises. He's imitating the teacher. And the teacher thinks it's coming for me. I'm like, I'm ready to have an accident, you know? He takes me out in the hall. He's got Zellner. He had one of the two was right. Picks me up off the floor. I'm, I'm about out of it. I mean, I'm just about ready to pass out. Anyway, that's another story. That's probably why I am the way I am a little bit. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Ziegler. I Mr. Zeke I I didn't. Yeah, right. more I'm like Oh, for Mrs. Wellborn in 6th grade. That was so good. Anyway, <laughs> fashions are in and out, right? How about bell bottoms? Somebody told me they're back in. Why did we throw them out? We had them 2030 <laughs> bell bottoms. What else? Tie-dyed t-shirt. I hope they're gone forever. No, but you don't have those, right? Oh, you're kidding me! What do you paint the living? Are they back in, Jamie? Are they? Are you wearing one? <laughs> Last night, Earth shoes. I hope they're gone forever. I was at the co- no. Oh, Jen, I thought Jen was waving to me. Yeah, the Earth shoes. How about with uh, Dave and I were sitting, drink cup of coffee at the uh, coffee. And the guy walked across with jeans, and they were hanging. I mean, they ripped. I felt like the guy needed an offering or something, you know? I mean, and Davis says, Dad, that's the style. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. I said, middle of winter, he's walking around. He's got air conditioning going on there. It was like 1967 all over again. I go, these in and out, and who does this stuff? I don't know. It's the Pied Piper in time. We'll all be walking around. You'll be coming in here like it. We're really delayed. It takes, you know, we're about the end of it, God's people. But then we sort of sort of do that. But Jamie, you're at the front end, I guess, maybe. But, well, did you know? Here's the point. Did you know there's a style of dress that pleases the Lord? And it's never out of fashion. Isn't that great? Never out of fashion don't have to keep going down and, and, and saying, what's the latest? And get rid of the other stuff. And it's eternal. That's for me. That's for me. That really is for me. I get a pair of jeans. I wear them. It's faithful threat to throw them out. I don't like to let them go, really. I get shoes like that. I've gotten them out of the trash. I don't want to let them go. I'm sort of sort of telling stories, All right, I was, All right, that's it. <laughs> Well, in Ephesians 4, and that's our text here, Paul begins to deal with Christian conduct. Remember, very typical in his writing. The first half of the letter is very doctrinal, filled with heavy teaching and a lot of play, especially Ephesians. I mean, he takes us to the loftiness and the wonders, and uh, just incredible, the divine counsel of God and all of that. Then when he comes to the second half of the letter, he builds the strong implications based upon what he's taught. Not the doctrine. The first three chapters are, are not practical. They're immensely practical. All of the word of God is profitable. But now he comes to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and he's going to say the big therefore, kind of like lessons for our life. Because of these things, this is how you ought to live if you're a believer in Christ. And as he comes to this, He talks about changing to a new way of life in terms of taking off a set of clothing and putting on a brand new set of clothing, and hence the idea of fashion or clothing that's approved by by God. Paul tells us, as believers in Christ, to put off the conduct, the conduct, the character, conduct, and lifestyle associated with being lost. We were all lost. We're born lost. We live in darkness. We love darkness. We love sin. That's until the grace of God captured us, apprehended us, and, and saved us through the wonderful gospel. And, and at, that, at that point, we became new creatures in Christ. There's a new disposition in your heart. You know, if you're a believer in Christ now, you can't do the old sin that you used to do with the same enjoyment. Oh, you can do the same sin. You don't lose your salvation. You grieve the Spirit of God. You break the heart of God. You fall out of fellowship. But you know what? You can't sin like you used to sin with the same joy. Impossible. You can't do it. You have a new disposition. You're a new creature in Christ. You have the deposit of the Spirit of God within you. And, uh, and, and, so, and, and here's the test. If you can, then you better examine whether you got the real deal, whether you're genuinely saved, that is a great telltale. You know, you, if you had, go to the doctor and you've got a problem, he wants to listen to your heart. That's a great listening to the heart, to find out if it's alive in Christ or not. And so take, take heed on that. Well, Paul's talking about all of these type of things. He's calling us to put off that conduct of our former uh, way of life and to put on the new pattern of uh, behavior Uh, that he is creating in us because of the newness of life that's in us. There's life in us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, behold, Paul said, all things are new. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, well, uh, we are to do this because Christ has made you and I new creations in himself. Paul, in this section that we're looking at, verse 25 to the end of chapter 4, really lays out five specific hired standards of conduct that should be worn by you as a believer in Christ. Five specific. I'm not going to tarry long at each one because there are five, and we want to move uh, through this text <clears throat> in an uh, expeditious way. Uh, each of these five tells how God desires us to conduct ourselves being new creatures in Christ. This is what God is doing in your life and in mine for his glory's sake. We're not moralizing here. We're not saying, everybody, look, shape up, ship up, and all that, and get better. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's what God has done in you, the newness of life. This is what He is trying to create in your heart, and that you and I would live out as we live day to day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We come here Sunday. Everybody looks good and smells good, and all the rest, but Monday's wholly different. No, every day ought to be the same. We ought to live it to the fullest, to Christ. And this is what God is doing in our heart and life as a result of the glory of the gospel that Paul has told us about in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Well, this uh, is a rather interesting section. As Paul uses the language, put on and put off. Look at verse 25. Therefore, each of you, he's talking to Christians there at Ephesus. These are professed believers in the Lord. You must, it's not optional, it's an imperative, put off. There's the idea of disrobing. Uh, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. And the rationale is for we are all members of one body. The first specific as we have just read is that you and I are to put off all lying and speak truthfully falsehood in the NIV it's the word sudas, lying false we're not to to twist it we're not to speak half truths which are all lies Paul treats lying as the dominant characteristic of the old life. It comes first in the list. It's the dominant characteristic of the old life. I remind you that Satan is the originator of the lie. It wasn't God. God uh, cannot lie. You know, there's some things that are impossible for God to do. The Bible tells us that. He's almighty and, and all-powerful. But there are some things God can't do. It uh, makes a great sermon. God can't deny his existence. He can't do that. The Bible also tells us that God cannot lie. He is truth. We know that from John 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth. God cannot lie. God is not the author of lying. The author of the lie is Satan himself. And so when you and I open our mouths and we speak half-truths or lies, we are actually doing Satan's work. That's, that's the point of this here. And boy, lie, we can lie, can't we? We're going to talk and we're going to see in the list how often the tongue comes through in this idea. Of disrobe the old nature in Christ, allow that which is new to put on the, the newness of life, the robes of righteousness, and so much of it deals with our tongue. Remember, it was Satan in the Garden of Eden who... Uh, you who lied to, to Eve. Remember that in Genesis 3? You know, God said we're not to do this, and we're not to not to touch it. We're not, she added to Adam, probably Adam said, don't even touch it. And she's adding to perhaps what uh, Adam had told her, the, that forbidden fruit. And then Adam then then Satan lies and attacks the very character of God. He's the Jesus called him the father of lies, meaning the originator of it. He's the source of it. Well, our culture, is it not? It's permeated with lies. Lies upon lies upon lies upon lies. Everywhere you look, lies. You know, there's a sense where we, we in courts of law, we, we force people to swear under oath to finally, at last, please help us, especially in a grand jury, proceed. Tell the truth so we can ascertain what really went on. And if you don't, and you lie under oath, that's perjure. You're in deep trouble. You know, we're to let our nay is to be nay, and our no, our yay, yay, and our nay, nay. We are to be truth speakers, not liars. And some of us, all of us are liars at heart, but some of us, it's a convenient old practice, and we fall in to protect ourselves. Or to manipulate, or whatever else, or to be thought better of, we lie. And it should never be mentioned, ever, as a result of the gospel that he's laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Ads on TV and commercials lie. They lie, right? I've tried the whiter toothpaste. I'm sorry, my teeth didn't get whiter. A little dab will do you, well, it didn't do me, you know. <laughs> All these things, right? I mean, they lie through their teeth. Some of us watch the Super Bowl to watch the ads, you know, to see what's coming. Well, they, they lie. and You know how that is. How about uh, politics? They never lie, do they? Ever? They always tell it the way it is. Oh, my. Oh, my. And how about government business contracts? And, oh, my. Try and figure out every little wiggle room So. People don't wiggle out, and ha, 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 you didn't see that, and I'm out from under it. Or in our relationship with each other, husband and wife, children, friends, neighbor, church, never. It's never, it's three, it's never right to lie. Even Rahab, now it's, it breaks my heart to read some of these so-called biblical ethicists, write that uh, there is the justifiable lie. Remember Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Remember Rahab when the children of Israel were starting to move in and conquer the land in Joshua chapter 2 verses 4 and 5? And Rahab took the spies in that Joshua had sent to uh, the, the the uh, it was an outpost, the city of Jericho, and she hid the spies. Rahab was a Canaanite and uh, she hid them in her, her dwelling place that was a part of the wall structure of that city. I've been there a number of times and looked down at the very foundation of that, which was probably of this era of Joshua's day, and thought just about this. Well, they sent messengers to her door, said, you have the spies here. We heard they're hiding here. And she lies to to protect them. And at biblical so-called ethicists will say, well, see, there it is. It's all right to lie. If she had said, oh, yeah, there they are. Go get them. Or there they are. They're alive. They would have been killed. And therefore, it is right to lie. No, it's never right to do wrong. There's a little simple little ditty. It's never right to do wrong. The ends never justify the means. Did you ever hear that? The ends never justify the means. It's never right to do wrong. Never. Well, then you say, uh, should she have said, uh, yes, they're here? I, there's always another, uh, another alternative. There are three. It's not yes, no. And I know we've talked about that, Hans and I have had a good talk about that, but in my heart of conscience, you never need to say anything. You don't have to say anything. That is a legitimate response. Okay? It's carried even into our own Constitution and the Bill of Rights where we have the Fifth Amendment. You've all heard of that. I take the Fifth, right? You don't have to say anything. That's self-incriminatory. And, and the fact that you need not say anything. As times may get worse here, and we may find ourselves coistered in basements or out in the field to have open-air worship if it, if it gets so hostile against the Christians, you know, someone knocks on the door and says, is there a Bible study going on there? Yeah, they're all down there. Go get them. No, you don't need to. No, just stay there and look at them. Silently pray. They may think you're, you know, stupid or something, and and you don't know what God's gonna put in their mark. Anyway, anyway, you don't don't presume to know the end of all things. God could strike them dead at that moment. Don't presume that. And so and, and, but don't lie, it's never right to do wrong. Never. Never is it, and Rahab is no illustration of it. It's an illustration in reverse. It's the grace of God. Actually, it shows, here's a woman in Cain, a Canaanite woman, I believe, was regenerate there at that time by the Spirit of God, but she still had much of Canaan still in her heart. Just like when you just got saved, you still had a lot of old stuff still there that God was dealing with, and that bit by bit was going to Be left behind as you grew in grace. And I think that's Rahab. Anyway, the grace of God, that Rahab should be included in the messianic line. She would be part, put it this way, she was Jesus' great, 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 to some degree, grandmother. Now that's the grace of God. It's marvelous indeed. Well, B, we are to reflect our God. You as a Christian, a Christian means little Christ, and God is working in you, and so you are to reflect the glory of Christ in your body. And God always tells the truth, and so speak truthfully. God is listening, listening. You ever listen to your children, some of your parents, and and you'll listen to your children perhaps... uh, uh, wondering what they're thinking, and they're in bed at night, and you hear them talking, and you just go down the hallway, and you sort of, and maybe it was a difficult time or a problem, and you just kind of, you, you know, I don't, I don't think, is that wrong? Eavesdropping as a parent, you want to listen. The point is, God always listens. He listens to every word we say, and we will give an account for every word we say. We are to be like Him. And the motivation here is, is when we do lie, we hurt the body of Christ. That's what he's saying here. For, in the end of verse 25, for we are all members of one body. And when we lie, the oneness of that body is hurt, it's damaged. And we all know that. We've, we we all, all can easily imagine what that's like. So we, we must rigorously cultivate the speaking of truth. We must. Our culture oozes like a toothpaste oozing out of it, oozes with deception and falsehood. And we are to tell the truth and resemble God and not hurt the body of Christ. New creations in Christ act like new creatures, and lying certainly is, has no part of it. It is really of the devil. And God has saved us for so much more than that. And we, you may need to ask, say, look, I really have a problem. I open my mouth and I say, maybe you're talking too much. Maybe that's it, you know we, we we talk too much sometimes and get flapping in the wind, as my dad used to say, close it up, it's getting drafty, you know and in the multitude of many words there's sin that's what the bible says that's and and, and maybe that's the problem you don't always need to be like this, and maybe less of this and, and less sin would come out, indicating the heart problem that it is. well, the second specific item of clothing, or higher standard of conduct, if you will, that should be worn by you as a believer, is, is found in verse 26 and 7. We are to live a life free from sinful anger. This is an interesting verse. Look at 26. In your anger, do not sin. Let me stop at this point. First of all, he's telling us there is a place for righteous anger. There is a place for it. There is. There is. John 2, uh, Psalm 4.4, 4. just look at that. This is a little unusual. We're not accustomed to thinking about anger as being righteous, and probably rightfully so. But look, look at a couple of th- instances that show righteous anger. And let that go into the mix of your heart and thought as you think about this. Uh, in Psalm 4.4, 4, in your anger, David writes, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. In your anger, do not sin. In other words, uh, you can have an anger that's not sinful. Uh, Jesus, uh, of course, is our example uh, of justice in John 2.13. Do you remember when he came to the temple there in Jerusalem and he scourged the temple? And he evidenced a a righteous anger in turning over the money changers and and grabbing the whip and driving out those that had polluted and corrupted that which was holy. It was his father's house. This is my father's house, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. You see, they'd be making these long migrations to Jerusalem for Passover. They wouldn't take their animals for sacrifice with them, and they'd take some coins in their in their pocket, and so when they got there, they would then buy the, the animal that would be sacrificed for the family, and, and so and, and th- those were glad to take the money plus a good profit, you see. That's what was going on there. And it was completely contrary to what uh, was supposed to be done, and the Lord exuded with a righteous anger. And we see that. It's, uh, in essence, you say, well, what is it, Pastor? It's, it is to be loyal to God and to his work. It's, to be, it's a loyalty to God. And when God's name or his work or, or any of that is blasphemed or attacked or ridiculed, it's to stay. I'm standing with God in his work and his gospel and his word, and when he's attacked, I'm attacked, you see. And anger in itself is the arising of, of the emotion that God has given us. It's not in and of itself sinful. It's to be loyal to God and stand with his cause and to speak soul. I remember a number of years ago, Fran, uh, Frankie Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's son, some of you will recognize Francis' name, um, uh, trained a, a generation of university students in thought, thinking about the Bible. Uh, he's there, and has spoken, and so many things. What, how then should we live, and whatever happened to the human race? And Twenty-two books uh, he wrote. And Frankie came along and wrote a book with his dad. He was the premier author, and he put A Time for Anger. That was the title of the book. He was trying to call evangelical believers to stand in solidarity against the Holocaust of the slaughter of the babies. He said, this is it. We need to stand and we need to exude with a righteous anger that this is wrong in our country. And so we called it a time of anger. Well, that's not usually our problem, is it? Our problem usually is not a righteous anger. Look at... uh, Look at the rest of our verse, and that's probably where you and I usually fit in. Uh, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's the wrong kind of anger. And do not grieve the devil, or do not give the devil a foothold, uh, to a place, he means. Well, what's he mean by all this? Uh, y- you see, most of our anger is utterly sinful. It's uh, centered in pride or self you know, anger usually arises because there's a blocked goal. That's what usually causes it. I want this. I want that. It's like Junior sitting over there playing with toys, and now there's another one over there, and, and uh, Billy's got the Tonka truck, and, and Joey wants it. I want it. You can't have it. And he gets angry, and he hits him with the Lego truck or something, you know. Slight altercation, and we grow up and we're kids with big bodies. That's what someone said. Adults are. It's a block goal. I want it. Give it to me now. Why can't? And we hit a wall on that. And we. It happens. It happens in families, husbands and wives. It happens at work. It happens with parent children relationship. Happens. Anywhere, I'm driving down the road, same to you fellow who cut me off and took my spot. Oh, there you know, it. that's the way it is. It's a very angry day. There are a lot of angry drivers out there, from what I can tell. Uh, anger, that's, uh, that's our, our problem. And this little quote here, uh, we are usually angered at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. probably true, and it's grievous to God. It's grievous to Him. It's grievous. Well, what's the best way to handle? To deal with this sinful emotion. Not righteous anger, but most of our problem is sinful anger. The answer is given in the text that we're to deal daily with it. In fact, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Uh, In other words, deal with it. Deal with your anger. I've had the joy of uh, marrying many couples through these years of of pastoral ministry. And a a part of it, uh, we deal in pre-marriage counseling. And I always, if I'm missing one, then I've missed it. But I intentionally and have almost always that I recollect, said, if I could do anything to your, your bed as husband or wife, I would carve in the headboard just this. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or anger that'd be the last thing if i was your that i'd have you look at every night when you crawled in bed together to sleep because i want you to know that if you disobey this you are giving a foothold a place for satan and it will lead to all sorts of other sins it will and in short order, you'll be having all sorts of problems. In short order, you may be divorcing. In short order, someone may get harmed or killed. In short order, that's what he means by that. In other words, deal with it every day. We have the potential of being very angry people, keeping all sorts of unwritten lists. Wives tend to be a little better at that than, than, the, than the husbands, They they have a tendency of not letting go and forgetting those things. Men can do it too, of course. But to daily keep the account short. Settle it. Men, don't sleep. Don't go to sleep if uh, if there's a problem with your wife. Just, you know, we can do that often, aren't we? We're pretty good. I'll flip the switch, tomorrow's another day. Why do today what I can do tomorrow? Forget that. Deal with it. The text says, don't let the sun set on your right. If you do that, you'll have, a hey, because you're obeying God, you're putting on the robe of clothing that befits Christ, and your blessedness will come into your marriage. It will be sweeter. It'll save you from other problems. It'll save you from physical problems as well. You'll sleep better, and Peter tells us not only that, your prayers will be heard, 1 Peter chapter 3. So there's a lot of incentive to that. You know, we talk today about debt, and I read in the paper, like you, and debt is a terrible thing, financial debt. Be very careful of that. Be very careful of credit cards. Don't use them. If you use them, pay them when they're due, and be done with that. Don't live on money that you don't have. Pay the account. Keep it short. And how important is that, right? Well, this is the same thing. Keep the account current, Every single day, don't let the sun set on it. And you, if you do that simple little thing, according to the word of God as a believer, you'll rise up and bless the Lord because your days will be sweeter. Do the opposite and it will be grievous to you and to your family, it will be. Keep that account short or you may never recover. If you disobey, there it is. You'll give Satan a foothold. Deal daily. Well, what's the third item of clothing or garment or conduct of this newness of life that is ours in Christ, that God has uh, given us as a new creation in Christ? Verse 28 tells us, and he who has been stealing, that's the word klepto, kleptomaniac, you know, a guy who can't help stealing, so-called. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must Here's the contrast, must work, doing something useful with his own hands for the purpose that he might have something to share with those in need. Third, you and, you and I are to put off stealing, and we're to work with our very hands. Well, this one, this uh, item is directly connected to the Ten Commandments. It's, in fact, the Eighth. You shall not steal. A thief, of course, takes from others for his own benefit, and it is a huge problem in our day. The five-finger discount to pick up. something set there. Well, it's not theirs. It's mine. If it's not yours, do not take it. Leave it. It isn't yours. Leave it. If it looks like it's someone else you can help secure it and get it back, do that. Do not steal. Do not. It's the strongest command given. It's a huge problem, and I'm reminded there are many ways that we can steal. There are, aren't there? Not only the five-finger discount, picking up a stick of gum or this or that, or some do it for the thrill. I was talking to Liz. Liz is a charge of security at uh, Target stores, and he was saying one of the major problems. Uh, is this employee theft. That's the one the employers have to really watch out. The employees walk home with the place. He was telling me about different ways in which they do that. And, and now the funny law, the way it is, you, you, you know that you have to be careful of accusing people and, and all the rest. And a lot of stores just let the people walk out. They don't want to have a counter lawsuit and uh, a charge against them. And it's just, it's, it's an enormous problem. It's an enormous problem. But more than just pilfering items, you can steal from your employer by not giving an honest day's work for, for your pay. That's stealing, right? Last time I checked, you can steal with your tongue and, and ruin someone's reputation. You've robbed them of something. There's an intangible. That's a way we can steal. Let me ask you, what are some things that come to your mind? What are some things we can do to steal uh, that may be not simply taking a, an item, so to speak. What are some ways that come to your mind? Can you think of some? Computer theft. What? Computer theft. Com- computer theft. And, and what would that be? Okay. That's amazing. Computer theft. Okay, Wanda. Stealing from your employer, doing things that you shouldn't be doing there, or spending too much time. And then computer theft. Wait, can I, uh, Raj? just a minute, can I say something? Be very careful what you put in your trash. Mm-hmm. You know, get a shredder. They're all not that much money. Shred anything up with any numbers, names, and all that. Shred it up. Raj. And software piracy. All right, software piracy. And how about the music? There was a music sharing that went on, and now, uh, and now they've kind of worked through that, I think, with the 99-cent downloads and stuff. But beware of that. Yeah, uh, Galen? Galen? Oh, there there you go. More? Yeah, uh Kurt. Income, tax. Income taxes? Mhm. You have the right to withhold legally well, what the law provides, but that's the limit. Over the Oh uh, yes. Jamie or uh, Ramona? look at that. That's an intangible by uh, robbing our kids of their future. They don't belong to us, but uh, yeah, that that has all kinds of implications. Anyone other uh, thoughts come to mind? Ways that we steal? All kinds of ways that we can be a part of stealing. Well, I love the Word of God. The beauty of the Word is it doesn't tell us simply stop doing something, but it replaces it with this newness of life, this clothing that is of God. And it tells us what to do. And in this place, it tells us that we're to work. Now, we've talked about that in recent weeks. But we are to work so that we'll be able to give to those who have legitimate material needs. Remember, work is a good thing. Right? Do you believe that? Amen? About half of you. (laughs) It's a good thing. It is a good thing. Really. It's a blessing from God. God works. He rested on a creation the seventh day, but don't think that God's somehow inactive out at the beach forever and ever since that time. He's not. He works even to now, Jesus said. Well, why is work a blessing? Well, uh, number one, provide for your own material needs. That's important. Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonians there. That was a problem. Some were thought, the Lord's coming in their life, so they quit their jobs and went up as it were and stood on the high points we're ready, Lord, come now. And the Lord said, hey, and Paul said, "Uh, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, provide for your needs. Second, work will provide you with something to do, right? Just think how boring life would be if you didn't work. Now, I know we like the times off, we like the days off, we like the vacation, we look towards the retirement and the change of the load, all those things. I know that. But if you didn't have something to do, we'd be a mess, It'd be a mess. We'd be, we'd be even more involved battling sin because, what, the devil tempts with idleness, but idleness tempts the devil. You're sitting around with nothing to do. He's like, whoa, I can't wait to get my myths into that person. That's right. That's exactly right. I heard, I heard a great preacher say the other week, that I've been, at points in my life, I've been way too busy, and at other points, I haven't had enough to do, and I got news for you, way too busy is better. Boy, isn't he right. I thought the same thing, right? And so, we're, it gives us something. And third, the fruit of your work should enable you to share with those that are in need. You give, that's the word. Give in the Greek, give, so you can give. Give to the Lord's work, the first... The t- give his, the first fruits of the increase that he gives. And then give to those in need. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Rather than steal, work so that you can be part of God's solution. That's what he's saying here. It's very simple. Stop stealing in all sorts of ways. I'll never forget, and I've told you this story before. There's a man in our church in Indiana, Ed Schroeder. And Ed uh, came to know Christ in an amazing way. He had almost committed suicide prior. He was a high corporate executive. God had wonderfully saved him. And I had the joy of of early discipling him. And uh, he went in one of the the first months after the Lord brought our paths together, and we went to a men's retreat at Crystal Lake Camp. And uh, he had never been at anything like that. And uh, we, had, we went to the bunkhouse. You can imagine a camp setting, bunkhouse, and all the guys, there were about 300 guys or something. And uh, we put our bedding and all that stuff. And then we went into the chapel, and we had a, a speaker. And we sat, we stood in the chapel, or we we, were, we sat, and he leaned over next to me and he said, You know what? He said, He, he called me pastor. He said, Pastor, I left my watch on the bunk. And I said, And. When, when it, after, before coming into the chapel, and I said, uh, uh, well, we'll get it after. And I could see he was in a cold sweat. And uh, as soon as they said amen, he and I raced out of the chapel back into the bunkhouse, and lo, lo and behold, there it was, his Rolex, still on the pillow. And he's like, he was sweating a ton of load, and he said, that's incredible. I mean, any place otherwise that I could ever imagine I would have laid it down, it was gone. And, and I, I said, you know, sometimes that happens, even in, in settings of Christians. It should never, but I was so thankful, especially at his young, tender spiritual age, that I'm sure men had saw it laying there as they left and made their way over, but it was still there. We should not be thieves of any sort, of any kind, not at all as becomes us in Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing in us. Well, fourth, we are to put off rotting speech, and that's the word, rotting speech, and speak only what benefits others. Look at 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk, that's the word rotting, talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We're to put off rotting speech. The word unwholesome here means corrupt or rotting. It's used the fruit. You ever buy fruit? Of course you have. And you don't eat it all? The bananas, you know, we should be eating fruits and veggies, and sometimes they either get too much or you don't eat them or this or that, and they go bad. Faith is great at making banana bread if the bananas get over over rotten. That really makes good banana bread when it gets real black. But we don't eat that. Rottenness is the idea. Don't let any rotten speech come out of your mouths indicating your heart is rotten, you see. This is what some talk does. It corrupts. It rots. You see, your words can either be words of life or words of death. You can speak death words or life words. The power of the tongue. Don't ever believe that sticks and stones will break my bones and names will never hurt me. It's just the opposite. Uh, I've had a broken arm and it healed. I don't have any Frank Whale broke that in wrestling one year. He was on my own team. He chopped it the wrong way and that thing bent like I never saw it and there it went, right? Right? Well, that, that feels pretty good today. I can tell you some names people have called me that hurt me if I dwell on it even to this very day. It's true. Rotten words, death words that come out of our mind. It's not to be named of us. Imagine the Lord doing that. I don't think so. I don't think so. And he didn't even speak. Again, talking about not speaking even before those some of the magistrates at his own trial. We are to speak only that which is, builds up or help or is seasoned with grace. Augustine, the great church father uh, uh, of the early centuries, hung this motto on his dining room uh, wall, and it's this, and I quote, He who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcomed at this table. That's not bad. He who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcomed at this table. Proverbs 18:21 says the tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our speech, you see, must always maintain or elevate those who hear us. And that's what God is calling us to, and if we don't do that, that what we're doing is we're grieving the Holy Spirit. It's no accident that, because it's kind of like an appendage, verse 30, in this whole flow of the text, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's not an accident that it occurs right after the strong command of us in the usage of our tongue and the words that we say. Meaning that when we speak that uh, wrongly and sinfully, we grieve the Spirit of God who has sealed us. That's a mark of ownership. He teaches us. He has regenerated us. The Spirit of God, Romans 8, 26, He prays for us. He seals for us. That's a mark that, that we're on. And we grieve the Spirit of God when we sin with our tongue. And we do. And we do. And we should not. And we need to put guards on it. Our tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity, James said. And it's all a heart issue. If you have a heart problem, and some of you take heart pills for that, blood pressure, and all the rest, say, hey, Doctor always wants to listen to your heart. Oh, you got a valve murmur. Oh, you got this, and oh, you got that. Oh, it's fun getting older, isn't it? Right? The heart issue. Well, that's what your mouth is. You see, your mouth is wagging out there in the wind with your tongue flapping around. It's not, that's not the sole source of the problem. It's a it's a it's a problem deep down inside. We say it's the heart. It's not the four chamber organism in, in organ in your chest and mind, that amazing heart. It's it's the innermost soul. It's a soul problem, the depths of your being. It's it's evil, it's corrupt. It shows how much more work God must do in your heart and in mine, for the Bible tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, all this insight, and then it comes out. You see, you can say, "Well, mm, I spoke without thought." Now, we can say that, but there's something going on, and it spills out. It's like walking across the the uh, carpet in kitchen floor. Sometimes I'm not real. My fine motor skills, I'm more clumsy. I'll knock stuff off the counter and uh, hit faith in the head. Don't mean to. Even at night, the poor thing, I you know, you know, have to wear football pads or something like I used to. And, and I'm clumsy. I'll carry a cup of coffee over and I'll, I'll, you know, I won't mean to do it, but on her new wash floor, I, there it is, right? That's the idea. Out of the abundance of the heart, there it is. It spills over. Comes out of the where that come from? It's the problems in the heart. It's deeper than here. It's, it's, it's a heart problem is, is what he's saying. And, and listen, the, there shouldn't be anything except that which is seasoned with grace come out of your mouth and mine. Well, what's he mean by that? No, no dirty stories. No dirty jokes. You're never to run down anyone else. It, it's tougher than that. Do you know what? Even if you hear something bad about someone you are not to repeat it. Now that cuts us all off as sinners. You say, I'm just giving the facts. You are not. It's to end with you. It's to end with you. And you ought to grieve. And if it's true, and not pass it on. We as a young church have been hurt even by words of attack against me and others. Words that were untrue. But in, in the mix of everything else, you know, Satan loves that. It's not to be repeated, not to be repeated and, and and even with the younger generation, there's this thing, well, we can use we can Christians swear, we can we'll show our liberty in Christ and use f- words, four-letter words, and I, I see more and more of this. I see it even uh, uh, with the younger generation. that's completely out. How do you take? the scriptures, especially here and then in in Colossians 4, that only things that are helpful that will build up those that hear, and your words are always to be seasoned with salt, grace, and only that which is edifying, not rotting. And that's always out. And that's a twisting of what Christian liberty is all about. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. That's not liberty, that's sin. We need to to really think through this and be more careful with it. No slanderous words, filthy, obscene words, not speaking evil of any. Rather, see, our words must be constructive, helpful, and gracious. We grieve the Spirit of God and we we violate this. He lives within us. Charles Swindoll wrote... The number one enemy of church unity is the tongue. Boy, I believe that. It's the tongue. A little bit of fire. Remember Smokey the Bear out there? They'll do that when things get dry. They'll, he'll come on TV. A little, little match will burn thousands and thousands of acres of beautiful timber and livestock. How huge a fire a little match starts. That's your tongue and that's mine only to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And we need that. It's a 24-7. It's not like, mm, I got that down. Remember that? Past kindergarten, learned how to time my shoot. Got that down. No. I don't think we ever get that down. It's a 24-7 issue. Lord, help me in this thing. And to close my mouth, and maybe not speak so much, for in the multitude of many words there's sin, And I may pass along things or disparage someone else or alienate someone. I'm trying to, you know, someone hurt me, so I'm going to pass it along so I get support and so they get the same negative feeling toward that other brother, sister, other person. It's completely out. And we need to really be careful in this. The elders are very concerned about this at the church. And if we find that there's a loose tongue, we will come and... Knock on your door, and we will confront you with this. Because many of us have lived through great pain of seeing the disaster of a tongue and the horror of that. And we don't take that lightly. This is right up there, and we're very, very concerned about that. And we all need to be diligent in this. Now, the ladies are studying on Monday night in the ladies' discipleship, Elizabeth George's book, A Woman's High Life. And last week, and Faithy was showing me this as I was studying this week, this godly speech, and she has so many wonderful things to say in here. I just thought, by illustration, I'll read a couple of, of, of things that she has. Did you know that backbiting and tail were considered to be cardinal sins by the early Methodists? John Wesley handwrote these, and I quote, six points of Methodism, which uh, then he had, uh, they were signed as a covenant by the fathers of, uh, of Methodism. Number one, that we will not listen to or inquire after any ill concerning each other. We'll not listen to any ill or even seek it. What was that? Number one. Number two, that if we hear any ill concerning another, did you know this? Did you hear that? We will not be in a hurry to believe it. That is, if we hear it inadvertently. Sometimes it comes to us and we can't stop it. We won't be quick to believe it. We won't. Number three, that as soon as possible, when we will communicate what we hear by speaking to or writing to the person concerned. So when inadvertently we do hear something, we go to that person. We email, we write, we see them, we call. All right? Number four, he writes, that until we have done this, we will not write or speak a syllable of it to any other person whatsoever. Number five, neither will we mention it after we have done this to any other person whatsoever. Even after we've gone to them, found out, is it true, is it not true? No matter what it is, it dies with us. That takes maturity. That takes the Spirit of God. The world loves dirt. They want to believe the dirt. They want to hear the dirt. It takes maturity, and that's Christ in you, the clothing and the garb that God wants you and I to wear. And number six and last, that we will make no exceptions to these rules unless we think ourselves absolutely obliged in conscience to do so. And one other little ditty on the other side of the page. Can you guess who I am, is the question. Was the query at the head of a magazine article then followed the description that provided the cue and answer. Here's the quote. Uh, quote, I have no respect for justice and no mercy for defenseless humanity. I ruin without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. You will find me in the pews of the pious as well as in the haunts of the unholy. I gather strength with age. I have made my way where greed, distrust, and dishonor are unknown. Yet my victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. In my name, my name is gossip. Well, wow, that's well done. That's a very, very good book. I'm glad our ladies are studying it. We all need to take, uh, uh, take that to heart. And number five and last beyond the rotting speech that ought not come out of our mouth, but only words of grace. Number five, verses 31-32, we are to put off sinful vices and replace them with a showing of love. Look how he closes uh, in our English Bible this chapter. Uh, Verse 31 uh, says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Rather, now put on, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, releasing that is, just as Christ, uh, uh, God forgave you. Well, the last of Paul's contrast here is kind of a catch-all, and these six vices are to be absent from us. Again, notice many of them are the tongue. Bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness will rob you of life. Listen, we're all going to be wrong. It's called life in a fallen world. It happens. You get passed over for a job. Life doesn't turn out as you want. Your marriages and and friendships and all the rest of life. You didn't make the basketball team. You didn't get the grade. You didn't get in grad school. You didn't get all of it. Hey, listen, that's what it is bitterness, if you allow that to lodge in your heart. You have every right to. You say, I have a right to be. Absolutely. You got passed over for the promotion. You were most deserving. You've been here the longest. Ask God to expunge that from your heart. Take that off. This role, that style of clothing, it it will truncate you and shrivel you in God's economy to affect that you won't be affected. In fact, you'll drive people from... Do you like to be around bitter people? Oh, that's fun, right? And yet it can find its way into our heart through the disappointments, heartbreak, and loss in life. Be wary of that. Bitterness, rage, what is rage? It's outbursts of anger. Brawling, what is that? It's shouting, it's a shouting match. It's not fist to cuff, so to speak. Slander, there's the tongue again. All forms of malice. I think of Lincoln's word, malice toward none after the the conclusion of the war between the states, right? Malice, that's a hardened uh, um, uh, condition of hatred. Get rid of malice. Get rid of that. This ill will that uh, is in your heart, put these off, disrobe these things that are, that are part and parcel with the old nature and the flesh. Rather, be replace these with the supernatural virtues of what kindness, the kindness of the Lord. Have you have you thought about the kindness of the Lord to you? Have you thought about God's kindness? He is so utterly kind; it overwhelms me at points. How about His compassion? is forgiveness. We are to replace these sinful catch-all evils with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And we are to forgive as Christ forgave, God forgave us in Christ. How did he do that? You say, how? He did it instantly. Immediately, totally, and forever. That's how God forgave us. And that's how we are to forgive those that hurt us. And it doesn't matter to what degree of severity. We are to be like this, for this is what God is like. Look at, if you, in case uh, uh, you were wondering, look at, just slip over into chapter 5, verse 1. That's what he's saying. Imitate, mimic is the Greek word, be imitators of God. This is what God is like. He's kind, he's compassionate, he's forgiving, and that's what he's doing in your heart and life, and that's what he's doing in me if you know him as Lord and Savior. Well, lessons for life. Number one, use your tongue. Look at this. Use your tongue only to glorify God. It's made for this. Your tongue is made to glorify God in song and in prayer and in speaking words that are gracious words that build up all those that would hear. Use your tongue. Lord, bring a holy sense of usage to this this tongue of mine because my heart is made right with you day by day. And just to remind you that the gossip and the slander is of Satan, and it's to pervert the use that God designed it for. You don't want to be a part of Satan's work, do you? I don't. We can, all of us, even as believers. Let's put that off like an old piece of clothing that's out of style. Number two. Daily, deal with your anger. Daily, daily do that. Some of you have anger. You say, well, I'm not overt in it. I'm not smashing walls and all the rest. But some of you battle because your anger goes inward. It's very polite. Even, you know, work up a smile. But on the inside, it's smoldering. I can see the smoke coming out of your ears. Given the right opportunity. What's the solution? Get rid of it. Replace it. But deal with it daily, daily forsake it. Don't keep an unwritten list, or written for that matter, of wrongs. I've been wronged, and you've been wronged, and so what? They never promised me a rose garden. Some guy's saying sometime that's life in a fallen world. That's what it is. Number three, your words, uh, your words should be filled with grace. Gracious words, kind words. Don't we love that? We'll say, they're going to run over me. Well, maybe, maybe not. doesn't matter. The Lord is your defender, protector, and he'll take care of you. Words that are gracious words, kind words to build up those who hear. Mama to her children, husband to wife, men. Just kind words to your wife. You know the nonverbal is stronger heard than the verbal. You know the way you say something man, to your wife, uh, if it's harsh, she won't hear the words. Uh, ask the Lord to make you aware of that. Be your words to be kind words and gentle words, like God is with us. Number four, never never take that which doesn't belong to you, whether it's a tangible thing or some of the intangible things that you mentioned. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's just uh, its the old advice, you know. I learned 90% of whatever I needed before I went to kindergarten. Like what? Here, here's one thing I heard. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing. That, that's not bad, is it, right? And how about another one? If it's not yours, yeah, that's right. Not bad. There it is. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. Nothing. Nothing. Pencils, stationery, anything. Footballs, jerseys, none of that. You know, there's an authority. Ask them permission if, if you feel you need to have it or all the intangible things. And finally and last, let me urge you Maybe, maybe the problem is that you're not saved, and we've talked about the new nature and the new disposition and the new set of clothing and that we're to put on because of the reality of Christ that's within us. But maybe, just maybe, you're not saved. Maybe you're still under the wrath and the penalty of your sin, the judgment. There is a coming judgment, and you will stand before the Lord, and you will either be there because of the. Robing righteousness of Christ that's given to those who believe, or you will stand there and give an account because of your sin and you will be lost forever. Oh, I urge you to come to Christ even today. Don't let the day pass without coming to the Lord and being saved. You can be saved in a moment. Be merciful unto me, Lord Jesus, a sinner trust you and receive you as my own. Thank you for dying in my place. Well, I don't know what the fashions are going to be in the next uh, months or years. Somebody figures that out. I don't know who it is. But it does affect us when we think of uh, our actual clothing, right? We'll either start wearing double-breasted. I used to have even vests. I sort of like those three-piece vests and all that. They look pretty sharp. And then I, you know, nobody warm anymore and I don't know where they go, dear. They went somewhere. (laughs) Some things I'm glad are gone, and we hope we'll never see again. I was glad to see peacoats come back. I used to wear that in eighth grade. Faithy's got one now. Peacoats, yeah, Jackie knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Anybody got a peacoat again? Jade, You do, right? Shelly, you have one? Anyone else? Faithy has one? Okay, we got just uh, uh, four of us. Ramona, do you? All right, five, what's the matter with the rest of you? That's nice, I kind of like those. Some fashions are glad or never gone, and those, they don't have white socks on, they're gone. Although I do wear them when I go to the gym. There's a style of fashion that is never out of place. It's these things that God's doing in your heart and mind. And may we be clothed with that, and particularly give focus to your tongue. Would you do that? I promise I will. And uh, I pray that God would help us. Maybe there's a reason why God gives us two ears and only one mouth. One mouth's more than enough, isn't it? Two ears. Be quick to what, and slow to speak. A lot of times we're not good at that, are we? May God help us. Let's practice. Let's let's pray, shall we?